So welcome back, Scott Weatherford. Can you believe it's the end of January 2022? Uh, this is kind of crazy. Life is moving fast and we're moving fastly with it. And I'm enjoying this series of Genesis. I hope you are as well. And today we're going to look at just this, probably one of the most familiar stories or accounts that's found in scripture and it's made evidence through geological evidence that it's actually a true historical event. So it's pretty incredible. You see, there's a scarlet thread that runs throughout scripture. It's a thread of redemption, of hope, and from the dawn of creation to the returning of Jesus, the story of God's saving grace unfolds. Knowing God is to know his promises. And God created man in his image and he fell into sin. We've talked about that. The curse was spoken and all mankind was polluted and we're all polluted. It, literally, we've fallen and we can't get up. Okay, it's a little cheesy. But God, that's probably the most profound thing that anybody can say. But God, God stepped in into our fallen state and he promised a redeemer. Remember back in Genesis 3 when God said he will strike your head and you will... And he will and he will strike your heel and you will strike he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I get that right eventually. You will strike his head and you will strike his heel. And that was re reference to Jesus coming and striking the serpent's head to kill him and break the grip of of sin and death and the grave over us. Satan would spend all of history in an attempt to prevent the curse of redemption to come only to be defeated by Christ on the cross. The cross is the finished work of God redeeming fallen man. Although script, Satan continues to scheme and to deceive, he's a punk and he's defeated. And although defeated, he still uses these tactics. Now listen to me very carefully. The first tactic he used, he wants to impugn God's love and his justice. He's going to make you trick, trick you in the fact that God doesn't really love you nor does he bring justice to you. It saves a liar because God is loving and he's just. He tempts us to conform to the world and its ways. Now, how does he tempt us to do it? Listen to me, church. The number one way he tempts us is through lying, slander, gossip, backbiting, and division. That's why in this year, we begin the year of praying and, praying and fasting, and we've come to the conclusion that praying for unity because Satan's a punk and that's what he loves to do. Here's the third thing he does. He accuses us of our past brokenness, therefore our present uselessness. He lets us remember how far we have fallen, therefore we are no good today, and he needs to shut his demonic pie hole because Christ has redeemed us. Hmm. He has no authority. The Bible says he's a lion looking to whom he may devour but when it comes to believers, he's a toothless lion. He may gum you and get you covered with spit, but he has no power over you, overpower of you. Which brings us to the promises of God and the promises of Noah. We're going to deal with Noah. Somehow we've re relegated the, the account of Noah into a, either a mystical or mythological or childish kind of story. It's neither. It's profound and it applies to our lives today. Geographically, excuse me, geologically, geography, okay, geologically. Do you know that when I was at Florida State, I was going to major in, in music and minor in geology and become a rock singer? Sorry, okay. That 
The evidence is overwhelming that the flood happened on the earth. It's, it's a fact. It's an event that changed the course of the whole planet that the flood happened. Because the flood was real, then the account of Noah is real. Noah knew God through obeying an outrageous assignment. Let's chase the scarlet thread and discover the profound promises of God in the life of Noah. Now, listen to me. Let me say this to you because I want you to hear this. Now, we're going to find Noah and the worship of God. He's going to give it to Ham, Shem, and Jephthah, his sons. Shem is going to be called the priest of the Most High God. And that the worship of God is going to be pushed forward by Shem, the son of Noah. Now, I want you to hold on to that. Because it's so important that like Noah, you teach the faith in the most high God to your children. Because there's a flood coming and the righteousness of those who love God will be preserved by the power and the promises of God. So let's listen to the promise of Noah and let's find life in that. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us as we look at the promises of Noah and who you are and how you build our lives that we may honor you and you keep your promises So speak through me, not my words, yours, not my truth, yours, not my spirit, yours. Everything I have to say is nonsense and noise. Yours is life and peace. So do what only you can do. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now we're going to pick up in Genesis 6. We've been tracking through Genesis and now here we hit at 6. And chapter 5 is kind of a convoluted mess of the the lineage of Cain. And you can read about that. But chapter 6 really comes in now into the, the sons of God, which are the descendants of Seth, the third-born child of Adam and Eve. Now, when the Lord saw human wickedness, I'm reading in Genesis 6. Now, when the Lord saw human wickedness was widespread on the earth and every inclination of human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord, and the earth was corrupt, and God sighed, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, so every creature that had corrupted in its way on earth, God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, from the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you're to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You're to make a roof of finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You're to put the door on the side of the ark and make it with lower and middle and upper decks. And Noah did this and everything he that God had commanded him to do. Now, I want to say this to you because there's a replica of the ark in Kentucky. It's probably worth the trip, a visit to go see. And there's a creation museum that's close thereby, which is probably a good thing for you to go see as well. As you can start seeing visually exactly what God has asking, uh, asked Noah to do. But let's learn some deeper lessons here than just going to looking at a replica of the ark. Let's learn the lessons of the promises of God as found in knowing God from the start. Excuse me. What was happening in the days of Noah? Now, God saw the earth had become corrupt and filled with violence. There are implications that everything was corrupted, not just the people. Everything was falling apart. All the creation, the the plants, the animals, the, the people, everything was corrupt. Noah's father even named Noah, his main name, 
relief or comfort because things had become so bad. So he had a boy and he named him relief or comfort. Probably a foreshadowing prophetic word about the life of Noah. The ground had grown more difficult. The erosion of sin on all creation is evident. The earth was suffering under the weight of sin. Listen to Romans 8, what it says. For the creation eagerly awaits the anticipation of God's Son to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing because of him who subjected in hope. People were busy about going to life, about life without God. The perversion of the culture was evidence in the life without God. Now, I'm going to talk about this for a second, so don't freak out, but listen, it's interesting. The Nephilim were on the earth during those days and afterwards. When the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them, they were powerful men of old, the furious, the uh, famous men. Now, Satan had had a diabolical plan to mix the sons of God, that's the descendants of Seth, with the daughters of man, that's the descendants of Cain. Cain was driven away from the presence of God, and he set forth a sin-filled legacy. Seth came along and represented the worship of the Most High God. And Satan's diabolical plans would take these daughters to marry these sons to bring about a corrupt generation. Now, you read about this. Some people say, oh, this is demons fell from heaven and they had sex with women and they became. No, angels don't have any sex. They're not male nor female. So that's not what the case is. So what this was was the diabolical schemes of Satan to mix these two cultures to bring about a broken culture. This intermarriage between the sons of God and the daughters of men would take man's eye off of God. And Satan uses this same plan over and over and over and over and over. Look what he did to Solomon later in Scripture. Solomon's eyes were taken off God because of the pagan women he had married. Many a man has lost his faith by marrying the wrong woman and vice versa. So it's that finding people who hold faith together, hold faith together. And that's why the Bible talks about us being equally yoked, believers marrying believers. Okay, let me go on. The climate was different. Some think there were higher H2O levels that made the earth easier to inhabit. There was no rain. The earth watered itself with dew. There were no seasons. This evidence is based on after the flood's promises. Now, get this, okay, how do we know that? As we look back over the climate change over the ages, we see climate change. Climate change is nothing new. Now, does that mean we should ignore it? No. Should we be good stewards of the earth? Yes. Should we worship the nature? No. Should we worship climate? No. Should we be good stewards of our earth? Yes. Yes. But we're not to worship the earth. And we're not to save the wells but kill the babies. Come on, y'all. And this is the balance of the corruption of thinking. We should not be shocked that there's climate change. It's a naturally current event. But we should be aware and responsible that we're keepers of the earth as good stewards of God. So that's the message we bring. Not in denial, but into reconciliation with God. Okay. Animals were not afraid of man. Some think that man was a vegetarian before the flood. They didn't eat meat only after the flood. Now, these are all extra biblical thought that I've looked at research. How do I know the animals were not afraid? 
but you are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Now, how could Noah assemble all the animals if they were afraid? They're afraid. Now, through some animals are domesticated and they're not afraid, and we know what those animals are. Even some domesticated quote unquote animals are still afraid. Like I had a friend of mine who was a cowboy in South Texas, and once a year he had to round up the bulls that were just roaming free, and they were wild critters, even though they were quote unquote domesticated. I never wanted to do that with him. I said, no, no, thank you. So, but the, the natural proclivity for animals is to be afraid of man. It's after the results of the flood. So before the flood, they weren't, they weren't scared. Now, I'll give you all this background to say what? What kind of man was Noah then? What made Noah the guy that stood out for God to say, okay, you're the guy? Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless person on the earth, and he walked close uh, he walked in close fellowship with God. Where did he learn that? From his daddy. Enoch walked with God. After he had Noah, he walked with God. He learned from his daddy. Who learned it from his daddy? Who learned it from his daddy? Who learned it from Seth? Who learned it from Adam? That's where he learned it. That's why it's so important for us parents to pass down our faith from generation to generation to generation. One of the most compelling stories my father ever told me was when he gave his life to Jesus. And that family story of my father's miraculous salvation has become a legacy gift that propels us forward in living all for Jesus. Noah was a righteous man. He was righteous. He was blameless. He was influenced by his godly heritage, and he walked with God. And then because Noah was that guy, Noah's faith propelled him to obey God. Faith is always the pathway to obedience. When I trust God, when I faith God, I obey Him. When I know about God, I choose whether or not I'm going to obey Him. But because I trust Him, He has my yes. So when God said, Noah, build an ark, He goes, okay, how big, how long, how wide, what do I use? Let's go. Hmm. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all the living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence, yet I will wipe them away from all the earth. Because of his close fellowship with God, Noah knew God's voice and responded. Now, hold on to that because we're talking about Abraham in a couple of weeks and you'll see the same kind of thing. Noah also knew God's character. 20 years of grace before the flood came. God's whispered to Noah and 120 years later, God brought the flood. God could have changed his mind, but he didn't. Noah could have been unfaithful, but he wasn't. God was faithful building an ark for 120 years. Wow. Noah said yes to God before God had asked him, and he obeyed God even against all the odds. Noah's faith was displayed by his obedience. So Noah doing everything exactly as the Lord commanded him. His actions were a public display of his private commitment. And so many of us choke on simple instructions from God, and we show that we love God when we obey him. Listen to what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Even without full understanding of what was happening, Noah trusted God enough to obey him fully. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. By faith, after, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he, com- he condemned the world and became an heir um, of righteousness that comes by faith. It never rained, Noah trusted anyway. He didn't know what an ark was. 
Noah trusted anyway. All the animals came to Noah by faith. Noah knew they would come. You see, the closer we become with God, the fewer questions we have in obeying him. One of the marks of spiritual maturity or discipling is to say yes to God before he asks. He has our yes. Noah knew God, and that was enough. God was his hope. Then God said, I've given you a sign of my covenant with you and all living creatures from generation to come. I'll place my rainbow in the clouds. It's a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Now we know the rainbow symbol has been hijacked, but not with God. And it's a symbol of his promise. I remember living in Canada that one day we had a double rainbow. It was like a double promise. At that moment in our time and living as missionaries in Canada, Tara had the double promise of God that he was faithful. It's such a blessing to us to see that. At times in Canada, God would put a rainbow around the sign to remind us of his faithfulness, to remind us of his promise. It probably meant nothing to anybody else, but to us it said, hey, you're a stranger in a strange land. You're a foreigner away from your family, but I still got you. I still got you. You said yes to me, and I still keep my promises to you. And those promises are real. The sign came after the act of obedience, and the rainbow was to fulfill the promise. There's no more universal flooding. The ground was not going to be cursed anymore, and God was creating a new ecosystem, and he was sending the Redeemer, Christ the Lord. Wow. Wow. Peter draws the same conclusion in his first letter. This is what he said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter 1.3. God was enough for Noah, and he still is for us today. All this promise points to the greatest promise, Jesus. He will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. Jesus is the Redeemer, not Cain, Jesus. He came to set us free. Jesus is our way of rescue. Resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on the same day of the month as Noah leaving the ark, according to Jewish Talmud and records. What? Noah left the ark on the same month, the same day as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, you see, God is full of grace. He's giving people an opportunity to come to him because of Christ. He is our rescue. And every promise of God is fulfilled with Christ. Every. So there's a scarlet thread that flows throughout all of Scripture that points to the one who's redeemed us, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gives me faith to trust him. My obedience in trusting him is displayed to my obedience of action, and that hope that he has sustains me. I have faith to trust, obedience to be displayed, and a hope that sustains me. And he will strike your heel and you will strike his head that Satan has been defeated and Noah's story points to Jesus. Wow. So what are you going to do with it? Here's some thoughts.
Say yes to God. Give up your rights to vocation and location, to possessions, to preferences, and say yes to God. Maybe God's asking you to do something that's crazy. Say yes to God. Now make sure it aligns with Scripture, okay? Just say it. But say yes to God. And then when you do, you will discover that He is faithful and He is good. And He'll sustain you and hold you through all the choices and quarters of life. You know, I was once young, but now I'm old and I've never seen God's righteous forsaken or God's seed beg for bread. That's not just a testimony to my age, but a quoting of God's scripture in Psalm. He can be trusted, live in his promises. I hope this helps. Father, thank you for what you said to us today in your word. And I pray those of us who are listening will come to a saving faith in you that will give our lives to you. That will say, Jesus, I'm yours. Father, I pray the ones who are living all for you will do so with great wonder and abandonment, saying yes to you before you ask. And I pray that we will be a church of the yes and not church of the no. A church that not only believes you, but obeys you. A church that not only studies you, but knows you, is intimately following you. That each individual under the sound of my voice will surrender you to you as Lord and director. And thank you for the promises. Next time we see a rainbow, let us remember who you are and not the sign that the culture has stolen from us. We pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Hey, I'm glad you joined me today. And if you trusted Christ, let us know. Uh, raise your hand. Let us pray with you. Let us send you a gift. Uh, we we want to know who you are. If you're tuning in from away, start a group. The group material is just great. So jump in with that in the life group material and, and be sure to subscribe to our website, our, our Friday forwards, our newsletters, so you know what's going on and be a part of our family no matter where you are. And remember, I love you and God is faithful. So go ahead and say yes. And uh, we'll see you next week as we start a new series in the book of Genesis, Knowing God's Faithfulness. So we'll see you next week, either live or online, maybe both. God bless you.